Distazapod. I'm going to answer your questions from Facebook, and I'm also going to brief you guys on how we managed to get a really excellent sort of quotation on the production for Hackerman, and how that allowed us to slide down his goal to a very modest $25,000 with our Action Figure of the Month 2020 campaign. So strap in, folks. We're going to Facebook first. And Gavin Rader says... Raddick is a vector detective, but where does he reside when he's not on the job? Does he have a home, loved ones? Does he need to sleep and eat? Also, what is Raddick's favorite color and brand? Sorry, and band. Oh, also, will Raddick, will all Raddicks come with the head of tank? Mainly referring to any specific AFOTM backer exclusives. Um, so Gavin, you're asking the right questions, but uh, the mystery of Radic needs to be intact for several reasons that I can't discuss right now. So we're going to have to discover the answer to most of these questions along the way. What I can say is that Radic, when he's outside of the vector, um, does indeed sort of check off a lot of the boxes you've presented. And I would also, I would dangle this teaser that we've already met the real-life Raddick. Um, but I will leave that to you guys to suss out and discuss amongst yourselves. Regarding the head of tank, alternate head, and Raddick, um, pretty safe bet that it will come with Raddick's month and the glow-in-the-dark Raddick exclusive, which, by the way, if you sign up for an entire year of Action Figure of the Month 2020, you will get a free 13th figure, which is our glow-in-the-dark Raddick. Um, so yeah, those two should come with the head of tank. Beyond that, I have other needs for that accessory. And as as you've often seen with my releases, typically the first editions of a figure come with all of the accessories and the heads and components that go into his tool. And then as we roll further down into production, those heads and accessories get used for other things. So sometimes the cavities get removed from the tool and replaced with other stuff. Um, so generally, you know, the first one or two releases kind of have everything that's associated with that figure, and then it gets fragmented and used for other things further down the line. James Davis, keeping in the vein of Radic, by the way, guys, love all the Radic questions. You're thinking about the right stuff here. You're getting excited for this character, just like me. Is there a vector detective agency? If so, who's in charge? Will we see any other detectives in the future? You know me, I'm all about story. I appreciate that, James. Um, so, Raddick is a sort of freelance gumshoe. He does not belong to a bigger agency. And the reason is because he performs a lot of illegal activities. You know, um, you're not supposed to go to the places that Raddick goes to within the vector, in the various stages and things like that. And uh, because of it, he's highly sought after. He's highly judicious about the cases he does accept, and he tries to have a little bit of a moralistic compass in which uh, which cases he takes on. But he's completely independent and sort of, he doesn't advertise, let's say. You know, um, he's very difficult to track down because he functions so much within the black and gray markets. Um, there is, or I should say, there will be an agency in charge of trying their best to maintain vector anomalies, but 
we have to understand at this point in the story, this is an entirely new thing that's been happening. While there have been sort of vector portals that have opened up throughout history, the current time crisis, for lack of a better word or branding, is relatively new to the story and uh, sort of is coming into play as the Chorger has been revealed, the capsules have appeared, and then, of course, the big cataclysmic... Cataclysmic... God, I'm not even going to try that. Um, the big, big bad event uh, with a micro stepping into the golden apotheosis capsule. That is truly what has fractured our time space and made made managing the vector a full-time occupation that is going to need a multinational corporation to step up and police it. And uh, I think you can probably guess there are very few multination, multinational corporations that could handle something like this. So uh, that's something I look forward to developing more. Currently, it's sort of the Wild West. It's out of control. Uh, you know, vector portals are opening up all over the place because it damages um, typical human tissue and DNA. It's not good to travel in the vectors. Um, you know, if you think of Royal Knight, he had an enchanted cape that allowed him to travel through the vectors and get stuck in our time. Uh, if you think of Corger, there is some uh, supernatural or evolutionary thing that he has that has allowed him to be relatively the only human being, only earthbound human being, that's been able to exist and thrive and live within the vector. Also, it's affected, affected his aging, obviously, having, you know, served in 1917 in the First World War and then um, still looking pretty pristine, considerably, in the near future timeline of Knights of the Slice. So, um... These are all, you know, this is, these are all sort of avenues I want to get to because they're interesting questions. And um, just hang in there. And again, both James and Gavin are asking the right questions. And we're followed by another astute squire of the slice who's asking in the same vein. And I applaud all three of you. Travis McLarson, I would like to hear more about the nature of the vector. How does it work? Who else inhibits it? What are the side effects? How do Vector Jump Knights fit in? How do the Device Ninjas, being a digital hive mind, fit in? So I, I sort of checked off a little bit of this in my last explanation. And I, I'm not going to reveal any grand secrets here, but I will kind of encapsulate various tidbits that have been teased out on uh, like the Sermon of the Leviathan and other Distazapods that really sort of get into the meat and bones of the vector. So how does it work? Um, the, the vector goes off of the premise that there is a sort of waking life and a, a subconscious or a death life. Um, if you look at, this is, a, this is a popular sort of myth that exists in most cultures. I guess the best example would be something like the Zelda games. You know, Link uh, functions in Hyrule, and then there are periods in several of his games where he sort of goes into the Shadow Realm. Um, if you think of Stranger Things, the Upside Down world, this is another concept of that. Um, my theory is a bit more inclusive. I, I take the idea of an afterlife, I take the idea of 
when we are unconscious, we are connected to the same afterlife. And I would also say that the internet and the access of digital websites and spaces and stages is in itself a way of activating and interacting with the afterlife and the subconscious and the shadow world or whatever you want to call it or in my parlance the vector um there is there's going to be a a small sort of let's call it a mini comic that's going to come out soon me and drew wise are just putting the finishing touches on it and it's going to give you uh, a little bit of this primer information about the vector but uh if you think of just the life we occupy in as far as we know you know three four dimensions and what it's like to live your life while you're awake and then what it's like to live your life while you're asleep this is the basic idea with the vector being our worldview or our experience when we're not fully awake uh who else inhabits it um as far as we know and have seen so far there's only one human one earth human who has existed within the vector that is the corager and um he has also gained almost godlike abilities from his exposure to it now it's an important question why this person was able to sort of travel without armor without an enchanted cape and why he was able to basically live there and freeze the aging of his cells in some respects um but that's not going to be discussed or revealed right now are there side effects absolutely um you know they are wide reaching but we do not have much documentation as this is a relatively new phenomenon so we basically know if you look at the royal knight comic we know that there is a you are sort of displaced on a cellular level even with an enchanted vector cape uh and reconstituted at the other side of a vector portal this is not unlike the concept in star trek with their teleportation rooms very similar you are sort of uh fragmented your molecules are fragmented and then reconstituted on the other end um you could imagine there's any number of cellular dna damage that would happen through something like that and you get to the idea of why uh people need sort of suits to travel in them uh, the most popular of which would be the vector jump suits which are sort of retro reverse engineered from some ancient technologies that have been found along the way uh and i think that that sort of plays into then the next question how did the vector jump knights fit in um so they are sort of a, able to freely um travel through the vector they are able to create portals with their caster arm and uh generally are well protected as far as we know during that travel um there are other beings and other types of armor that seem to do okay in there with you know a, a hollowed out rift killer shell being worn by a humanoid seeming to also mimic the effects of vector jump armor with the exception that there is no caster arm so there's no way to open a portal so to speak uh how do the device ninjas being a digital hive mind fit in well i would say that device ninjas would probably not have too much trouble traveling through vector portals but they would not be able to summon a vector portal it would be a you know 
opportunistic if they happen upon one. Now, do Earthbound, do Terran uh, origin technology, does it sort of, is there a denigration that happens when you're in the vector? You know, I can only imagine that there's a lot of radiation, a lot of static energy, a lot of things that sophisticated, you know, electronic instruments may not like. So we haven't sort of seen for our own eyes a device ninja transverse the vector, and it could be could be totally fine, or it could be like them, you know, walking into the ocean. There could be a lot of damage occurred. And I look forward to finding out these things as you do. Johan, our good friend from Sweden, says, Radic, IRL lore, how long has Radic been with you? What's the story behind him? What's his first appearance? What made him into what he is now? Uh, so there's a very good Distazapod, and I believe it is a public post, uh, and I'm going to pull it up right now and see if I can get you the name of it, that covers a lot of this, and that is... Mm-mm-mm. Agency Affairs. Oh, all about Radic from October 1st. Uh, I think this is a public post. If it's not, I'm going to go ahead and make it public and share it with you guys. It's going to give you a bunch of background into Radic and my thinking and what went into the sculpt and how long this character has been around. Um, I'm just scrolling down here to see if it's public. Mm-mm-mm. It is public. Okay, so go back to October 1st on the Patreon, and you can you can get a pretty concise picture of Radic, the Vector Detective. But I can tell you, he has not always been known as Radic within my uh, drawings and my creations, but he is a very, very early character for me. Um, the earliest artwork I could find of him, he was called the Scarlet Sentry, which is not a great name by any, any stretch. And he has a sort of garish neon colored outfit including a cape for no reason uh he seems to have armbands combat pants uh timberlands (laughs) and some crazy armament um but he does have his signature goggles and he does have cool uh spiky hair and this sort of motif this character repeated himself over and over again throughout my creative endeavors He was also known later as Rax in this sort of small sci-fi comic that I never did anything with, where he was a sort of uh, personal guard to a prince in in a sci-fi setting in the future, and uh, had this morph hand that could kind of take any shape it needed to. Um, So he, he sort of, the idea floated around there, and then as we got to Knights of the Slice a few years ago, now Radic's been in development for more than two years, probably three or four years, honestly. Uh, I always knew I wanted to do a bigger character, a more muscular character, and I started to put together a lot of comps and ideas, and we've even gone through several sculpts of Radic before we landed on where we are. So check out the the Patreon post from October 1st, and um, you're going to see a lot of great pictures and photos and, and work in progress. And uh, I think that's probably going to be better experience than me, you know, uh, reiterating what's listed there. Moving on to Lucas Ward. Has crowdfunding Action Figure of the Month 2 been slower or more difficult now that it isn't on Kickstarter? 
Do you already have your stock in the U.S. for whatever exclusive is at Decon this year? I'm sure you've decided what that will be already. So to answer the last question first, I do have stock of the Decon exclusive here in the States. I do not know what it will be. Um, I will probably decide that after we get through tomorrow's October Action Figure of the Month fulfillment and uh, when I have a little bit of time to, to sit and think about it. But uh, there will be an 8-inch Mega Knight exclusive. There will be a 4-inch Knight of the Slice figure. And we will likely do a Shikan figure as well. Um, I think that's a pretty safe bet. So you can look forward to that happening in November at DesignerCon. And of course, I will uh, have those on any extras in the store afterwards. And patrons will likely get an advanced sale prior to Decon so they can get that wrapped up and not have to worry about it. Going back to uh, the bigger question, is Action Figure of the Month 2 been slower or more difficult? Yes, it's it's been slower and it's been more difficult and it's been a thousand percent more rewarding. Um, I knew that not going with Kickstarter was going to be detrimental to us for many reasons. Uh, organic discovery being one of them, being able to have Kickstarter service up in searches, recommend them to other people who have backed similar programs. Um, you know, we got a big amount of new customers from Kickstarter. There's no question about that. However, with the scandal going on with Kickstarter right now, with them squashing unions, you know, their workers are trying to organize for better conditions. Um, I can't in good conscience at this time work with Kickstarter. I have to see it through to see if we can do this ourselves so that I can avoid giving money to a corporate entity that is really not aligned with my politics. And, you know, I, I, I've known people that have worked at Kickstarter. I consider them to be very hardworking and they have built the company into what it is now. It does not feel right to me to sort of give up a good percentage of my campaign to a company that's, that's firing people and squeezing people in this way. Now, I'm also beholden to keeping this, you know, my company afloat, and I may not always have the option to take this position. And at the and also, given that my material reality is not affected by the Kickstarter struggle, I'm not a member of a union. I don't really benefit from that. In some ways, uh, supporting unions can be detrimental to me as a small business owner. Um, you know, a good example would be trying to set anything up at San Diego Comic-Con or things like that. But generally, I, I in the battle between a huge corporate entity and a workers' union, I typically side with workers' unions. So um, I knew that we would be moving at a much smaller pace. We would be casting a much smaller net. I knew that I would have to work... 10 times as hard every single day with updates and content to push this along. And I accepted that because I think it's worth it. And I also believe in our current followers. And you guys have not disappointed me at all. Uh, I think we're currently at 83%. We have steadily moved up every single day. You guys have been wonderful about spreading the word and sharing things. And this is so much better of an arrangement. Um, I don't need to outdo last year. I don't need to sort of uh, compete with myself. I just need to put together a good campaign, have a steady base to build off of, 
and get the figures I want to unlocked. And we're well on the way for that. And I thank you guys. So um, it was always going to be smaller, but I think it's more important that we do this ourselves. Uh, As I said on the uh, Good Morning Toy World podcast, if you haven't checked it out, please do. It was a good interview. Um, You know, Kickstarter received about $4,000 from me from the last campaign in fees and and things like that. And $4,000 is half of a tool, uh, half of a new figure, or an entire new set of accessories and heads. And I'd rather keep that $4,000 and put it into the product. It doesn't matter to me if we have 100 backers, 150 or 200. Uh, I'm, you know, I still am going to service the Action Figure of the Month 2020, and I'm going to put that money into making new characters. So uh, thank you guys for really proving that something can be this hyper-independent and, uh, you know, it, it hopefully be successful. Thomas says, can you share some more in uh, share some more about the version 2 capsule? Do we know of its origins? Maybe where? What environments they are found? UV capsules have to be searched out. Uh, do these as well? Are certain knights more apt to have them? Or do these vessels welcome all entrants? Have they been modified at some point, or were they always how they are now? Don't have to answer all the questions, of course. Any bits you want to share will be cool. Thanks. Um, there's a lot of stuff I, I don't want to share at this point because we're so early in the project. Uh, I can tell you that... These are specifically a vehicle for a specific faction. And like with Vector Jump Armor or Rift Killer um, sort of bodies, technology always gets refitted and reused by all factions eventually. But there is a specific faction that is bringing this into play. Um, I can't answer all the other stuff because one, it's going to spoil some things, and two, I haven't written a lot of this stuff, so... Uh, but I'm glad your interest has peaked with Capsule 2. I'm super, super excited for it. I can't wait to own this. I would caution that it's likely that um, larger figures like Radic and Hackerman will probably not fit in these capsules. They are designed for our first, you know, uh, five or six sort of standard night figures. So just a little tempering of expectation there. Rick Stigler, I know you like Metal Gear. When did you get into Metal Gear? What was the last one you played? If you played all of them, which was your favorite? What about Metal Gear do you like? What will or have we seen a Metal Gear-inspired figure made by you? Um, You know I like Metal Gear. That is correct. Very astute observation. When did you get into Metal Gear? The first Metal Gear NES game. Uh, I was particularly... Uh, mesmerized by the ads in comic books that showed all the weapons Snake would use. And ironically, I wasn't a good enough player to ever get any of those weapons. I don't think I ever even got a handgun. So I would just walk around with rations, punching people. Um, but the the sheer look and the aesthetics of it was enough to really like captivate me. Um, the last one I played would be Metal Gear 5, which... I really, really liked. It would have been great if they could have finished that last chapter, which you can kind of see DVD extras of. Um, it, I really liked playing that game, and I know it gets a bad rap, but I, I found it very immersive, and I'm looking forward to Death Stranding. I think 
Kojima will get to do a lot of stuff with Death Stranding he didn't get to do with Metal Gear 5. Um, if I played them all, what is my favorite? I haven't played 4, but I watched all the cutscenes in a big montage video on YouTube. Uh, my favorite is Snake Eater because I just think it's the best. It's the best setting. It's so complex and deep and there's so much to do and the music, especially when you're walking up that long ladder, the musical cues are great. I just, uh, it was unlike any other game. I also really, really liked Peace Walker and I played the hell out of that. Um, I distinctly remember being in Germany during a sleet storm in like February and being holed up in my hotel room and just so blissful to be playing Peace Walker you know, cuddled in bed. I had some lion candy bars, which are popular in Europe. I don't think we have them over here. And some, like, sparkling apple juice. And I was just, like, snacking and playing Peace Walker. And I loved it. It was a very happy moment for me. What about Metal Gear do I like? I think that, um... I think stealth is an interesting component to games. I think we all like controlling or acting as this super soldier that can beat anybody I think the gear the overkill in gear there's so many combinations of gear and so many interesting traps you can set I think the gear is a big part of it and snake is just kind of a cool character you know uh will we or have we seen a Metal Gear inspired figure made by you no comment Cliffy Cheetah what kind of accessories will Radic and Hackerman have so right now I think that the the most plausible accessory layout will be Radic with the head of tank alternate head accessory and then Hackerman with the Slasherman alternate head. Hackerman may have one to two sort of melee or projectile weapons. That needs to be decided based on what our total sort of fundraising is and how much space there is in the tool. Lucas Ward says the Mega Knight Sexual Yakoi is my favorite paint style ever in Knights of the Slice. How difficult would it be to get that level of shading on a smaller figure? I'm looking at uh, Alexis Zirit on Instagram and their colors and shading remind me of it. And I would love to see those colors on a Hacker Man. So with vinyl, it's easier to kind of have these more complex paint decos. And the vinyl factory is separate from our action figure production factory because it was done in collaboration with Clutter. So uh, I think Clutter were, you know, I didn't deal with the production at all on that figure. Clutter were very good with pushing the factory to do something as ambitious as the sexual yokoi style. And by the way, that was totally their idea. I was against it because I felt like it would be too expensive, but to Clutter's, uh, Clutter's credit, they steered that ship home. And uh, so they get the credit for that one. Uh, I think it would be way too cost prohibitive to do this on a four-inch figure, although it's something I've wanted to do in a long time. Uh, it is, you know, the the four-inch factories are interested in maintaining the status quo in a lot of respects for the paint deco. Uh, the paint is the most labor-intensive part of all of this, and it requires the most staff and the most time, and it just, it, it, when it's extrapolated, it becomes very, very expensive. You know, I think that these paint echoes would probably end up with a $50 uh, MSRP on a figure. Um, you also mentioned uh, Alexis, who's an, a tremendous artist, and I really love uh, the new stuff he's doing. I believe he has a Kickstarter going on right now 
so you should check that out. I think they have he and Dave Baker, if I'm not mistaken, have a new comic book coming out. Um, so check that out. I'm going to see if there's a way I could support that without giving money to Kickstarter. Uh, but I, I really like Alexis's work. We've talked about doing toys in the past, uh, but we could never sort of, uh, you know, I, I think both of us just kind of like played telephone tag on these things for a while. Uh, he's a super talented guy. His stuff is very toyetic. And I love the sort of mechanized SWAT team guy he posted today. I thought that looked really cool. Um, moving on. Jason Rushlow. I have found some back issues of Transformer Universe. They are basically similar to DC's Who Who and the Marvel books. Would you consider making a Knights Encyclopedia? So the Marvel books you're referring to are Marvel Update 89, which was hugely influential to me as a kid and my story writing. It still informs me in a lot of the narrative and character decisions I make to this day. It's a fantastic series. DC's Who Who, Who's Who was a little bit of a lesser product and Frankly, I find the DC Deep Library to be pretty uncompelling compared to Marvel. Um, I would love to make a Knight's Encyclopedia. I would love to have more publishing uh, take you know uh, underway for Knights of the Slice, but the reality is it requires a full-time employee to do publishing. And we're sort of too small to necessitate a proper um, publishing licensing deal wherein a, a publisher would kind of help with the workload here um so it's gonna have to wait until our audience is a little bit bigger and we can sort of make a compelling argument that you know we should have a proper publishing component but the good news is i think we're making leaps and bounds and getting close to that uh the reality is i have trouble getting a single page postcard comic done once a month just by the sheer demand of fulfillment and everything else related to production so it, requ- it honestly requires somebody working five days a week, nine to five, to make books happen in a proper way. So we're a little bit far off from that at, at the time being. Jonathan David Kroger. The other night I was watching Lawrence of Arabia, one of my favorite movies, one of mine as well. Thank you. I remember that in the old Desert Rat podcast, you mentioned that the film was one of the influences that informed Desert Rat conceptually. I know Desiree is being phased out, but would you ever consider at some point in the future doing a straight Peter O'Toole as T.E. Lawrence homage? I'm imagining a desert rat in white with gold accents, blue eyes. A second, not entirely unrelated question, would you ever consider making a figure with a molded, robed body as opposed to cloth robes? I'm a big fan of figures in that ilk in general. The character options are numerous, uh, not the least of which would be a combo with one DR head and the aforementioned Lawrence of Arabia figure. So um, I'm almost to the point where I want to start thinking about what, if I ever did do a desert rat again, what it would look like. And I think a T Lawrence one is, is pretty interesting and, you know, not, wouldn't be one of the worst ideas. Um, I, I do want to do a sort of real type desert rat that looks a bit more like the original Paintmaster or something that would exist at the time. You know, try to get more accurate and more gritty with it. Um, Regarding the second question, a molded robed body. This is something I've thought about since the beginning of Knights of the Slice and wrestled with. And for me, it wasn't a robe, but it was a trench coat. I wanted to to see if I could do a a molded trench coat body that, you know, had some some sort of versatility to it. And, 
you know, I've actually built out of green stuff a couple prototypes along that way, and I could never find something that looked right. Um, part of the idea, part of the challenge is you have to make a decision. Um, do you sort of cut the articulation and the sculpt so that it the hips move, or do you have it be a sort of uh, salt shaker type lower body that does not move, or maybe twists at the boot? Um, and just have kind of a hollow sort of, you know, bell shape for uh, the, uh, you know, the bottom part of the garment. And I can say that I haven't found a satisfactory answer in either of those paths. Um, That being said, there is a, a figure being sculpted now that plays with some of these elements, and I think we're gonna land on something that's pretty cool. It is more coat-related than rope-related, but if it comes together and it looks right, I I think there could be something like this in the market next year. So stay tuned for that. Charlie Wrighton, quick, your house is on fire in an earthquake on a sinking island. You have five seconds to grab your three favorite figures. Who are they? Run to the boat, for God's sake. So uh, in an actual real-life crisis, I wouldn't be concerned with action figures. You know, it doesn't matter. These are just pieces of plastic. I can rebuy anything that gets melted. You know, these are just transient things. But for the in the spirit of the question as a thought exercise, um, boy, what would I grab? This is a really tough one. Uh, I guess I would grab... It wouldn't really be easy to get, but I would grab um, Matt Doughty's early resin figures from Glyos before he started manufacturing. And he also he sculpted a uh, Rex Gannon head, which um, I would grab because it's just super meaningful to me and these are handmade objects and they're very special. So I guess I would use all three on just trying to grab those items because I have a few of them because I, I think they're just the most precious treasure in the world. Snakepike says, when designing the Hyper Knight, did you take any inspiration from Acid Rain Omega, Reborn Trooper, as they both have takeaway piece of armor for the torso? What's the progress on Send 5 for Action Figure of the Month 2020? Will Shikan ever have Material Boy styles in the store? These are all great questions. So, the first question about Acid Rain Omega, I did answer on uh, Good Morning Toy World yesterday, so you can see a longer answer uh, there. But the short answer is, no, I, I hadn't seen Omanga until long after Hyper Knight was developed. Um, I, his sculpt has been around for a very long time, so I already had the ideas and the figure done, just uh, did not have it sort of roll out until, or sort of have a public facing until much later in its life cycle. Um, that being said, I, I, I love Acid Rain. I love Kit, obviously. They're great, and I, everything else is a ripoff of what Kit does because he's just that he's that good. Um, what's the progress on Sen 5 for Action Figure of the Month 2020? So Sen 5 realistically is looking like a release uh, not in this campaign. We're just not, not going to get to him. I think we can get Hacker Man and Slasher Man. So he's on the back burner. Um, we're finishing up Radic. He should be done tomorrow, and that means he's going to go over to China, and we're going to start a tooling model, which is a bit early, but I think we're going to get fully funded here. Uh, and then after that, we got to tweak Hackerman. 
We have a couple, we have a little less work to do on Hackerman than we do on Radic, but it is, he's next in line, so we're going to tackle that. We got to tackle the Slasher Man head and things like that. And then, uh, Sen 5 is probably going to cool off until next year because we have this big crossover project with Matt Dowdy that is going to take up all our bandwidth afterwards. Um, but it's, uh, Sen 5 is a great character. I will do a sort of post on Patreon at some point in the future about all of Sen 5's long, long history and all the art, and I think people will like it. It's a character I've had for a very long time. And then, will Shikan ever have Material Boy styles in the store? Um, yes, but not for his, not of his painted versions. The, there are, there will be unpainted releases, I think only one or two, and they are unique colors. They're not the base color for his painted versions. So uh, did things a little bit differently with that. But if you are a customizer and you feel like you're going to want to do a Chicon custom, we got you covered because it's coming up big time. Now, on to this great hornswoggle I was able to portray when it comes to uh, the tooling costs and the funding goals for Action Figure of the Month 2020. So to give you some background, when I plan a figure and I send it off to China to be quoted, there are a lot of extra parts that you guys don't see. And I try to build each figure as a deluxe figure with multiple heads, multiple accessories, possibly different limbs. And I send that package to China. They give me the quote for this deluxe figure. And then based on where cash flow is, uh, you know, how the next couple quarters look, how sales are doing, I will subtract pieces until I have what I think is the best value for the investment. So I'm trying to think of an example. Like um, Rift Killer, I think we had other parts too. Yeah, we did. So we sent in Rift Killer. He's got, you know, extra accessories, extra heads. And we sort of did a cost analysis for... You know, which a cost analysis is basically how many units of this figure do I have to sell to break even? And if it's a couple hundred, you're okay. If it's it's gonna take you a thousand figures, you gotta sell a thousand figures at full price to make back your investment, that's pretty tough. And that's when you sort of take out the red pen and you start chopping off features and accessories and things like that to get it down to a very limited figure. Now Hyper Knight would be a good example of a figure with all its extra bonuses intact. You know, three extra heads, a gun, and the removable chest plate. That is a deluxe figure in uh, the same stage in which it was sort of quoted. So the goal we had for Action Figure Month 2020 was $20,000. And the rationale there is it's going to take $10,000 to order all the product for 12 months, let's say. I'm rounding off here, but I have a budget of $10,000 to put, you know, uh, all the, to order all the figures we need for one month and fulfill those. So that's put aside. That doesn't in incorporate packaging, shipping, labor, all the other add-ons, but that is our hard cost of product for one entire year of Action Figure of the Month. The other 10 grand is for the tooling for Radic. Uh, which is about a medium-sized tool. It includes a couple accessories, um, but is not really considered a deluxe figure. 
So that's how I came up with the goal of $20,000 for Action Figure of the Month Club. With my the understanding that I would fund myself all of the extra stuff that comes along with it, postage, and labor, and packaging, etc. You know, I'm just worried about the hard cost of the product and the figures itself. That's all I need covered. I'll take care of the rest. So then the the logic dictates that if it's 10 grand for Radix tooling, and he's a sort of medium deluxe figure, Hackerman is going to be a medium deluxe figure. So we'll ask for another 10 grand. So we'll get $30,000 as the next goal after Radic. Um, I when I went over to China a few weeks ago, I was able to sit down with the factory and show them all the parts I wanted to do for Radic, and live in person get costing and quotes and get their input on how expensive things might be, what would really be a cost savings. You know, if I cut this piece, I can get this, and I was able to get a tooling cost that was very low, in a great way. There's not a lot of lucky breaks for this enterprise, especially when it comes to costing in China. But for whatever reason, the planets aligned and I got a really great quote that came under what the target was. So I had a little bit to play with. And uh, I, I just got the sort of, you know, the kind of formal invoice that you get from a factory that lays out the total cost, because I'm not going to make a move until I see that, you know, we got to get it in writing. And it came in, and it's legit, and it's a cheap cost. It I had to sacrifice a couple extra accessories for Radic that truthfully would have been very complicated, very expensive. It would have moved him to a deluxe figure or beyond, and it would have drove up his unit cost really high. He probably would have been the most expensive figure we've done so far. Um... So, what I did was, with that surplus, I took Hackerman, who was a, again, a deluxe or mega deluxe figure. I did some editing. I took out a bunch of stuff, and I instead moved the Slasherman head over to his main cavity. And the feeling is that we can hit the target. We can hit a very conservative target for Hackerman as well that's going to match Radic. So... That little bit of wiggle room really allowed me to drop the goal down to the exact dollar and cents that I would need to make Hackerman happen. Basically, I got some savings, so I passed that on to the end customer and made our goal much lower, which I think is a lot more compelling. You know, getting one new figure is great. That gives us an even 12, and we can have different characters in different months. But I think if we can do two new figures, that's pretty remarkable and monumental. And I think that's the right move. So that's sort of where we stand today. It's very fortuitous that Braddock came in so low and we got to kind of rejigger all of the uh, the amounts and the dollars. And, you know, what, what I think people don't see, and this particularly happened every single day on last year's campaign, these stretch goals get changed all the time. They have to. You have to sort of have something pliable that you can, you know, you can change direction on very quickly in response to how campaigns are doing. I've always had, in all of the campaigns we've done, I've had, I start off with a very solid plan of where I think dollar amounts are going to go and what the unlocks are going to be. And inevitably, I always throw them out the window because that's just not what happens when you're in the meat of a campaign. 
it is really like you're in survival mode in a lot of respects. So I'm very happy with these decisions. I am super happy about Head of Tank. I think it's long overdue for him to make an appearance. And uh, frankly, I think uh, he is worth the small accessories that we sort of X'd out of the plan. 100%. Now, very astute readers may be able to ascertain what those extra accessories might have been. And they stay. They still may yet exist as resin-printed items later on. I'm not, you know, scratching that. And also, we have a really good history of reusing parts that get scrapped for later releases. You know, the Rift Killer is a great example of being a Frankenstein, an amalgamation of tons of different parts we had laying around. It was truly, you know, the, in some respects, the first Frankenslice. It, it was built from so many different sculpts and tools and things like that so um i'm pretty confident there's a life out there yet for all these little orphan projects but that's the rub uh i would love to get to radic as soon as we can and i thank you for your help in doing that at 83 percent he's definitely going to happen let's see how quickly we can make him happen uh, I got some new reveals coming up for Hackerman. I got some new reveals coming to the Subsidy Supply Drop. It's all in all a very exciting time to be alive. And I love that I've woken up every morning and the campaign's inched up. That really makes my morning. And I thank you guys very much for it. Um, I'm not sure there's that much else to say other than I appreciate your support. And we're going to talk soon. So the only thing left to say is pizza out. Distazapod. I'm going to answer your questions from Facebook, and I'm also going to brief you guys on how we managed to get a really excellent sort of quotation on the production for Hackerman, and how that allowed us to slide down his goal to a very modest $25,000 with our Action Figure of the Month 2020 campaign. So strap in, folks. We're going to Facebook first. And Gavin Rader says... Radic is a vector detective, but where does he reside when he's not on the job? Does he have a home, loved ones? Does he need to sleep and eat? Also, what is Radic's favorite color and brand? Sorry, and band. Oh, also, will Radic will all Radics come with the head of tank? Mainly referring to any specific AFOTM backer exclusives. Um, so, Gavin, you're asking the right questions, but uh, the mystery of Radic needs to be intact for several reasons that I can't discuss right now. So, we're going to have to discover the answer to most of these questions along the way. What I can say is that Radic, when he's outside of the vector, um, does indeed sort of check off a lot of the boxes you've presented. And I would also, I would dangle this teaser that we've already met the real-life Radic. Um, but I will leave that to you guys to suss out and discuss amongst yourselves. Regarding the head of tank, alternate head, and Radic, um, pretty safe bet that it will come with Radic's month and the glow-in-the-dark Radic exclusive, which, by the way... If you sign up for an entire year of Action Figure of the Month 2020, you will get a free 13th figure, which is our glow-in-the-dark Radic. Um, so yeah, those two should come with the head of tank. Beyond that, I have other needs for that 
accessory. And as, as you've often seen with my releases, typically the first editions of a figure come with all of the accessories and the heads and components that go into his tool. And then as we roll further down into production, those heads and accessories get used for other things. So sometimes the cavities get removed from the tool and replaced with other stuff. Um, so generally, you know, the first one or two releases kind of have everything that's associated with that figure, and then it gets fragmented and used for other things further down the line. James Davis, keeping in the vein of Radic, by the way, guys, love all the Radic questions. You're thinking about the right stuff here. You're getting excited for this character, just like me. Is there a vector detective agency? If so, who's in charge? Will we see any other detectives in the future? You know me, I'm all about story. I appreciate that, James. Um, so, Radic is a sort of freelance gumshoe. He does not belong to a bigger agency. And the reason is because he performs a lot of illegal activities. You know, um, you're not supposed to go to the places that Radic goes to within the vector, in the various stages and things like that. And uh, because of it, he's highly sought after. He's highly judicious about the cases he does accept. And he tries to have a little bit of a moralistic compass in which, uh, which cases he takes on. But he's completely independent and sort of he doesn't advertise let's say you know um he's very difficult to track down because he functions so much within the black and gray markets um there is or i should say there will be an agency in charge of trying their best to maintain vector anomalies but we have to understand at this point in the story this is an entirely new thing that's been happening while there have been sort of vector portals that have opened up throughout history. The current time crisis, for lack of a better word or branding, is relatively new to the story and uh, sort of is coming into play as the Chorger has been revealed, the capsules have appeared, and then, of course, the big cataclysmic... Cataclysmic... God, I'm not even going to try that. Um, the big, big bad event... Uh, with a Micros stepping into the Golden Apotheosis capsule. That is truly what has fractured our time space and made, made managing the Vector a full-time occupation that is going to need a multinational corporation to step up and police it. And uh, I think you can probably guess there are very few multination multinational corporations that could handle something like this. So uh, that's something I look forward to developing more. Currently, it's sort of the Wild West. It's out of control. Uh, you know, vector portals are opening up all over the place because it damages um, typical human tissue and DNA. It's not good to travel in the vectors. Um, you know, if you think of Royal Knight, he had an enchanted cape that allowed him to travel through the vectors and get stuck in our time. Uh, if you think of Corger, there is some uh, supernatural or evolutionary thing that he has that has allowed him to be relatively the only human being, only earthbound human being, that's been able to exist and thrive and live within the Vector. Also, it's affected, affected his aging, obviously, having, you know, served in 1917 in the First World War and then um, still looking pretty pristine, considerably, in the near future timeline of Knights of the Slice. So um, these are all 
you know, this is these are all sort of avenues I want to get to because they're interesting questions. And um, just hang in there. And again, both James and Gavin are asking the right questions. And we're followed by another astute squire of the slice who's asking in the same vein. And I applaud all three of you. Travis McLarson, I would like to hear more about the nature of the vector. How does it work? Who else inhibits it? What are the side effects? How do vector jump knights fit in? How do the device ninjas, being a digital hive mind, fit in? So I I sort of checked off a little bit of this in my last explanation. And I'm not going to reveal any grand secrets here, but I will kind of encapsulate various tidbits that have been teased out on uh, like the Sermon of the Leviathan and other distasopods that really sort of get into the meat and bones of the vector. So how does it work? Um, the, the vector goes off of the premise that there is a sort of waking life and a, a subconscious or a death life. Um, if you look at this is a, this is a popular sort of myth that exists in most cultures. I guess the best example would be something like the Zelda games. You know, Link uh, functions in Hyrule, and then there are periods in several of his games where he sort of goes into the Shadow Realm. Um, if you think of Stranger Things, the Upside Down World, this is another concept of that. Um, my theory is a bit more inclusive. I, I take the idea of an afterlife. I take the idea of when we are unconscious, we are connected to the same afterlife. And I would also say that the internet and the access of digital websites and spaces and stages is in itself a way of activating and interacting with the afterlife and the subconscious and the shadow world or whatever you want to call it, or in my parlance, the vector. Um, there is, there's going to be a, a small sort of, let's call it a mini comic that's going to come out soon. Me and Drew Wise are just putting the finishing touches on it. And it's going to give you uh, a little bit of this primer information about the vector. But, uh, if you think of just the life we occupy in, as far as we know, you know, three, four dimensions, and what it's like to live your life while you're awake, and then what it's like to live your life while you're asleep, this is the basic idea, with the vector being our worldview or our experience when we're not fully awake. Uh, Who else inhabits it? Um, As far as we know and have seen so far, there's only one human, one Earth human, who has existed within the vector, and that is the Corriger, and um, he has also gained almost godlike abilities from his exposure to it. Now, it's an important question why this person was able to sort of travel without armor, without an enchanted cape, and why he was able to basically live there and freeze the aging of his cells in some respects. Um, but that's not going to be discussed or revealed right now. Are there side effects? Absolutely. Um, you know, they are wide-reaching, but we do not have much documentation as this is a relatively new phenomenon. So we basically know if you look at the Royal Knight comic, 
we know that there is a you are sort of displaced on a cellular level even with an enchanted vector cape uh, and reconstituted at the other side of a vector portal this is not unlike the concept in Star Trek with their teleportation rooms very similar you are sort of uh, fragmented your molecules are fragmented and then reconstituted on the other end um, you could imagine there's any number of cellular DNA damage that would happen through something like that and you get to the idea of why uh, people need sort of suits to travel in them uh, the most popular of which would be the vector jump suits which are sort of retro reverse engineered from some ancient technologies that have been found along the way uh, and I think that that sort of plays into the, the next question how do the vector jump knights fit in um, so they are sort of a, able to freely um, travel through the vector they are able to create portals with their caster arm and uh, generally are well protected as far as we know during that travel um, there are other beings and other types of armor that seem to do okay in there with you know a, a hollowed out rift killer shell being worn by a humanoid seeming to also mimic the effects of vector jump armor with the exception that there is no caster arm so there's no way to open a portal so to speak uh, how do the device ninjas being a digital hive mind fit in well I would say that device ninjas would probably not have too much trouble traveling through vector portals but they would not be able to summon a vector portal it would be a you know uh, opportunistic if they happen upon one now do earthbound do Terran uh, origin technology does it sort of is there a denigration that happens when you're in the vector uh, you know I can only imagine that there's a lot of radiation a lot of static energy a lot of things that sophisticated you know electronic instruments may not like so we haven't sort of seen for our own eyes a device ninja transverse the vector and it could be could be totally fine or it could be like them you know walking into the ocean there could be a lot of damage occurred and I look forward to finding out these things as you do Johan our good friend from Sweden says Radic IRL lore how long has Radic been with you what's the story behind him what's his first appearance what made him into what he is now uh, so there's a very good Distazapod and I believe it is a public post uh, and I'm gonna pull it up right now and see if I can get you the name of it that covers a lot of this and that is mm -mm -mm. Agency Affairs oh all about Radic from October 1st uh, I think this is a public post if it's not I'm gonna go ahead and make it public and share it with you guys it's gonna give you a bunch of background into Radic and my thinking and what went into the sculpt and how long this character has been around um, I'm just scrolling down here to see if it's public mm -mm -mm. it is public okay so go back to October 1st on the patreon and you can you can get a pretty concise picture of Radic the vector detective but I can tell you he has not always been known as Radic within my 
uh, drawings and my creations, but he is a very, very early character for me. Um, the earliest artwork I could find of him, he was called the Scarlet Sentry, which is not a great name by any any stretch. And he has a sort of garish neon-colored outfit, including a cape for no reason. Uh, he seems to have armbands, combat pants, uh, Timberlands, <laughs> and some crazy ar- armament. Um, but he does have his signature goggles, and he does have cool uh, spiky hair. And this sort of motif, this character repeated himself over and over again throughout my creative endeavors. He was also known later as Rax in this sort of small sci-fi comic that I never did anything with, where he was a sort of uh, personal guard to a prince in the in a sci-fi setting in the future, and uh, had this morph hand that could kind of take any shape it needed to. Um, so he, he sort of, the idea floated around there, and then as we got to Knights of the Slice a few years ago, now Radix been in development for more than two years, probably three or four years, honestly. Uh, I always knew I wanted to do a bigger character, a more muscular character, and I started to put together a lot of comps and ideas, and we've even gone through several sculpts of Radic before we landed on where we are. So check out the the Patreon post from October 1st, and um, you're going to see a lot of great pictures and photos and, and work in progress. And uh, I think that's probably going to be better experience than me, you know, uh, reiterating what's listed there. Moving on to Lucas Ward. Has crowdfunding Action Figure of the Month 2 been slower or more difficult now that it isn't on Kickstarter? Do you already have your stock in the U.S. for whatever exclusive is at Decon this year? I'm sure you've decided what that will be already. So to answer the last question first, I do have stock of the Decon exclusive here in the States. I do not know what it will be. Um, I will probably decide that after we get through tomorrow's October Action Figure of the Month fulfillment and uh, when I have a little bit of time to, to sit and think about it. But uh, there will be an 8-inch Mega Knight exclusive. There will be a 4-inch Knight of the Slice figure. And we will likely do a Shikan figure as well. Um, I think that's a pretty safe bet. So you can look forward to that happening in November at DesignerCon. And of course, I will uh, have those on any extras in the store afterwards. And patrons will likely get a advanced sale prior to Decon so they can get that wrapped up and not have to worry about it. Going back to uh, the bigger question, is Action Figure of the Month 2 been slower or more difficult? Yes, it's it's been slower and it's been more difficult and it's been a thousand percent more rewarding. Um, I knew that not going with Kickstarter was going to be detrimental to us for many reasons. Uh, organic discovery being one of them, being able to have Kickstarter service up in searches, recommend them to other people who have backed similar programs. Um, you know, we got a big amount of new customers from Kickstarter. There's no question about that. However, with the scandal going on with Kickstarter right now, with them squashing unions, you know, their workers are trying to organize for better conditions. Um, I can't in good conscience at this time work with Kickstarter. I have to see it through to see if we can do this ourselves so that I can avoid giving money to a corporate entity that is really not aligned with my politics. And, you know, I, I, I've known people that have worked at Kickstarter 
I consider them to be very hardworking and they have built the company into what it is. Now, it does not feel right to me to sort of give up a good percentage of my campaign to a company that's that's firing people and squeezing people in this way. Now, I'm also beholden to keeping this, you know, my company afloat, and I may not always have the option to take this position. And at the and also, given that my material reality is not affected by the Kickstarter struggle, I'm not a member of a union. I don't really benefit from that. In some ways, uh, supporting unions can be detrimental to me as a small business owner. Um, you know, a good example would be trying to set anything up at San Diego Comic Con or things like that. But generally, I, I in the battle between a huge corporate entity and a workers' union, I typically side with workers' unions. So um, I knew that we would be moving at a much smaller pace. We would be casting a much smaller net. I knew that I would have to work 10 times as hard every single day with updates and content to push this along. And I accepted that because I think it's worth it. And I also believe in our current followers. And you guys have not disappointed me at all. I think we're currently at 83%. We have steadily moved up every single day. You guys have been wonderful about spreading the word and sharing things. And this is so much better of an arrangement. Um, I don't need to outdo last year. I don't need to sort of uh, compete with myself. I just need to put together a good campaign, have a steady base to build off of, and get the figures I want to unlocked. And we're well on the way for that. And I thank you guys. So um, it was always going to be smaller, but I think it's more important that we do this ourselves. Uh, As I said on the uh, Good Morning Toy World podcast, if you haven't checked it out, please do. It was a good interview. Um, You know, Kickstarter received about $4,000 from me from the last campaign in fees and and things like that. And $4,000 is half of a tool, uh, half of a new figure, or an entire new set of accessories and heads. And I'd rather keep that $4,000 and put it into the product. It doesn't matter to me if we have 100 backers, 150 or 200. Uh, I'm, you know, I still am going to service the Action Figure of the Month 2020, and I'm going to put that money into making new characters. So uh, thank you guys for really proving that something can be this hyper-independent and, uh, you know, it, it hopefully be successful. Thomas says, can you share some more in uh, share some more about the version 2 capsule? Do we know of its origins, maybe where, what environments they are found? UV capsules have to be searched out. Uh, do these as well? Are certain knights more apt to have them? Or do these vessels welcome all entrants? Have they been modified at some point, or were they always how they are now? Don't have to answer all the questions, of course. Any bits you want to share will be cool. Thanks. Um, there's a lot of stuff I, I don't want to share at this point because we're so early in the project. Uh, I can tell you that... These are specifically a vehicle for a specific faction. And like with Vector Jump Armor or Rift Killer um, sort of bodies, 
technology always gets refitted and reused by all factions eventually. But there is a specific faction that is bringing this into play. Um, I can't answer all the other stuff because one, it's going to spoil some things, and two, I haven't written a lot of this stuff. So, uh, but I'm glad your interest peaked with Capsule Two. I'm super, super excited for it. I can't wait to own this. I would caution that it's likely that um, larger figures like Radic and Hackerman will probably not fit in these capsules. They are designed for our first, you know, uh, five or six sort of standard night figures. So just a little tempering of expectation there. Rick Stigler, I know you like Metal Gear. When did you get into Metal Gear? What was the last one you played? If you played all of them, which was your favorite? What about Metal Gear do you like? What will or have we seen a Metal Gear-inspired figure made by you? Um, You know I like Metal Gear. That is correct. Very astute observation. When did you get into Metal Gear? The first Metal Gear NES game. Uh, I was particularly uh, mesmerized by the ads in comic books that showed all the weapons Snake would use. And ironically, I wasn't a good enough player to ever get any of those weapons. I don't think I ever even got a handgun. So I would just walk around with rations, punching people. Um, but the the sheer look and the aesthetics of it was enough to really, like, captivate me. Um, the last one I played would be Metal Gear 5, which I really, really liked. It would have been great if they could have finished that last chapter, which you can kind of see DVD extras of. Um, it... I really liked playing that game, and I know it gets a bad rap, but I, I found it very immersive, and I'm looking forward to Death Stranding. I think Kojima will get to do a lot of stuff with Death Stranding he didn't get to do with Metal Gear 5. Um, if I played them all, what is my favorite? I haven't played 4, but I watched all the cutscenes in a big montage video on YouTube. Uh, my favorite is Snake Eater, because I just think it's the best. It's the best setting. It's so complex and deep and there's so much to do and the music especially when you're walking up that long ladder the musical cues are great I just uh it was unlike any other game I also really really liked Peace Walker and I played the hell out of that um I distinctly remember being in Germany during a sleet storm in like February and being holed up in my hotel room and just so blissful to be playing Peace Walker you know cuddled in bed I had some lion candy bars which are popular in Europe I don't think we have them over here and some like sparkling apple juice and I was just like snacking and playing Peace Walker and I loved it it was a very happy moment for me what about Metal Gear do I like I think that um, I think stealth is an interesting component to games I think we all like controlling or acting as this super soldier that can beat anybody I think the gear, the overkill in gear, there's so many combinations of gear and so many interesting traps you can set, I think the gear is a big part of it, and Snake is just kind of a cool character, you know uh, will we, or have we seen a Metal Gear inspired figure made by you? no comment Cliffy Cheetah, what kind of accessories will Radic and Hackerman have? so right now I think that the the most plausible accessory layout will be Radic with the head of tank alternate head accessory and then Hackerman with the Slasherman alternate head Hackerman may have one to two sort of melee or projectile weapons 
that needs to be decided based on what our total sort of fundraising is and how much space there is in the tool. Lucas Ward says the Mega Knight Sexual Yakoi is my favorite paint style ever in Knights of the Slice. How difficult would it be to get that level of shading on a smaller figure? I'm looking at uh, Alexis Zirit on Instagram and their colors and shading remind me of it. And I would love to see those colors on a Hacker Man. So with vinyl, it's easier to kind of have these more complex paint decos. And the vinyl factory is separate from our action figure production factory because it was done in collaboration with clutter so uh i think clutter were you know i didn't deal with the production at all on that figure clutter were very good with pushing the factory to do something as ambitious as the sexual yokoi style and by the way that was totally their idea i was against it because i felt like it would be too expensive but to clutter's, uh, clutter's credit they steered that ship home and uh so they get the credit for that one uh, I think it would be way too cost prohibitive to do this on a four-inch figure, although it's something I've wanted to do in a long time. Uh, it is, you know, the the four-inch factories are interested in maintaining the status quo in a lot of respects for the paint deco. Uh, the paint is the most labor-intensive part of all of this, and it requires the most staff and the most time, and it just, it, it, when it's extrapolated, it becomes very very expensive you know i think that these paint echoes would probably end up with a 50 dollar uh msrp on a figure um you also mentioned uh, alexis who's an, a tremendous artist and i really love uh the new stuff he's doing i believe he has a kickstarter going on right now so you should check that out i think they have he and dave baker if i'm not mistaken have a new comic book coming out um so check that out i'm gonna see if there's a way i could support that without giving money to kickstarter uh, but I, I really like Alexis's work. We've talked about doing toys in the past, uh, but we could never sort of, uh, you know, I, I think both of us just kind of like played telephone tag on these things for a while. Uh, he's a super talented guy. His stuff is very toyetic. And I love the sort of mechanized SWAT team guy he posted today. I thought that looked really cool. Um, moving on. Jason Rush Lowe. I have found some back issues of Transformer Universe. They are basically similar to DC's Who Who and the Marvel books. Would you consider making a Knights Encyclopedia? So the Marvel books you're referring to are Marvel Update 89, which was hugely influential to me as a kid and my story writing. It still informs me in a lot of the narrative and character decisions I make to this day. It's a fantastic series. DC's Who Who, Who's Who was a little bit of a lesser product and Frankly, I find the DC Deep Library to be pretty uncompelling compared to Marvel. Um, I would love to make a Knight's Encyclopedia. I would love to have more publishing uh, take you know uh, underway for Knights of the Slice, but the reality is it requires a full-time employee to do publishing. And we're sort of too small to necessitate a proper um, publishing licensing deal wherein a, a publisher would kind of help with the workload here um so it's gonna have to wait until our audience is a little bit bigger and we can sort of make a compelling argument that you know we should have a proper publishing component but the good news is i think we're making leaps and bounds and getting close to that uh the reality is i have trouble getting a single page postcard comic done once a month just by the sheer demand of fulfillment and everything else related to production so it, requ it honestly requires 
somebody working five days a week, nine to five, to make books happen in a proper way. So we're a little bit far off from that at, at the time being. Jonathan David Kroger. The other night I was watching Lawrence of Arabia, one of my favorite movies, one of mine as well. Thank you. I remember that in the old Desert Rat podcast, you mentioned that the film was one of the influences that informed Desert Rat conceptually. I know Desert Rat is being phased out, but would you ever consider at some point in the future doing a straight Peter O'Toole as T.E. Lawrence homage? I'm imagining a Desert Rat in white with gold accents, blue eyes. A second, not entirely unrelated question, would you ever consider making a figure with a molded, robed body as opposed to cloth robes? I'm a big fans, fan of figures in that ilk in general. The character options are numerous, uh, not the least of which would be a combo with one DR head and the aforementioned Lawrence of Arabia figure. So um, I'm almost to the point where I want to start thinking about what, if I ever did do a Desert Rat again, what it would look like. And I think a T. Lawrence one is... is pretty interesting and you know not wouldn't be one of the worst ideas um i i do want to do a sort of real type desert rat that looks a bit more like the original paint master or something that would exist at the time you know try to get more accurate and more gritty with it um regarding the second question a molded robed body this is something i've thought about since the beginning of knights of the slice and wrestled with and for me, it wasn't a robe, but it was a trench coat. I wanted to to see if I could do a, mold, a molded trench coat body that, you know, had some, some sort of versatility to it. And, you know, I, I've actually built out of green stuff a couple prototypes along that way, and I could never find something that looked right. Um, part of the idea, part of the challenge is you have to make a decision... Um, do you sort of cut the articulation and the sculpt so that it, the hips move, or do you have it be a sort of uh, salt shaker type lower body that does not move, or maybe twists at the boot um, and just have kind of a hollow sort of, you know, bell shape for uh, the, uh, you know, the bottom part of the garment. And I can say that I haven't found a satisfactory answer in either of those paths. Um, That being said, there is a a figure being sculpted now that plays with some of these elements. And I think we're going to land on something that's pretty cool. It is more coat-related than rope-related. But if it comes together and it looks right, I, I think there could be something like this in the market next year. So stay tuned for that. Charlie Wrighton, uh, quick, your house is on fire in an earthquake on a sinking island. You have five seconds to grab your three favorite figures. Who are they? Run to the boat, for God's sake. So, uh, in an actual real-life crisis, I wouldn't be concerned with action figures. You know, it doesn't matter. These are just pieces of plastic. I can rebuy anything that gets melted. You know, these are just transient things. But for the in the spirit of the question as a thought exercise, um, boy, what would I grab? This is a really tough one. Uh, I guess I would grab. It wouldn't really be easy to get, but I would grab um, Matt Doughty's early resin figures from Glios before he started manufacturing, and he also he sculpted a uh, Rex Gannon head, which. Um, 
I would grab because it's just super meaningful to me and these are handmade objects and they're very special. So I guess I would use all three on just trying to grab those items because I have a few of them because I, I think they're just the most precious treasure in the world. Snake Pike says, when designing the Hyper Knight, did you take any inspiration from Acid Rain Omega Reborn Trooper as they both have take away a piece of armor for their torso? What's the progress on Send 5 for Action Figure of the Month 2020? Will Shikan ever have Material Boy styles in the store? These are all great questions. So, the first question about Acid Rain Omega, I did answer on uh, Good Morning Toy World yesterday. So you can see a longer answer uh, there. But the short answer is, no, I, I hadn't seen Omanga until long after Hyper Knight was developed. Um, I, his sculpt has been around for a very long time, so I already had the ideas and the figure done, just uh, did not have it sort of roll out until, or sort of have a public facing until much later in its life cycle. Um, that being said, I, I, I love Acid Rain. I love Kit, obviously. They're great, and I, everything else is a ripoff of what Kit does because he's just that he's that good. Um, what's the progress on Sen 5 for Action Figure of the Month 2020? So Sen 5 realistically is looking like a release uh, not in this campaign. We're just not, not going to get to him. I think we can get Hacker Man and Slasher Man. So he's on the back burner. Um, we're finishing up Radic. He should be done tomorrow, and that means he's going to go over to China, and we're going to start a tooling model, which is a bit early, but I think we're going to get fully funded here. Uh, and then after that, we got to tweak Hackerman. We have a couple. We have a little less work to do on Hackerman than we do on Radic, but it is he's next in line, so we're going to tackle that. We got to tackle the Slasher Man head and things like that, and then. Uh, Sen 5 is probably going to cool off until next year because we have this big crossover project with Matt Doughty that is going to take up all our bandwidth afterwards. Um, but it's uh, Sen 5 is a great character. I will do a sort of post on Patreon at some point in the future about all of Sen 5's long, long history and all the art, and I think people will like it. It's a character I've had for a very long time. And then, will Shikan ever have Material Boy styles in the store? Um, yes, but not for his, not of his painted versions. The, there are, there will be unpainted releases, I think only one or two, and they are unique colors. They're not the base color for his painted versions. So, uh, did things a little bit differently with that, but if you are a customizer and you feel like you're going to want to do a Shikan custom, we got you covered because it's coming up big time. Now, on to this great hornswoggle I was able to portray when it comes to uh, the tooling costs and the funding goals for Action Figure of the Month 2020. So, to give you some background, when I plan a figure and I send it off to China to be quoted, there are a lot of extra parts that you guys don't see. And I try to build each figure as a deluxe figure with multiple heads, multiple accessories, possibly different limbs. And I send that package to China. They give me the quote for this deluxe figure. And then based on where cash flow is, uh, you know, how the next couple quarters look, how sales are doing, I will subtract pieces until I have what I think is the best value for the investment. So 
I, I'm trying to think of an example. Like, um, Rift Killer, I think we had other parts too. Yeah, we did. So we sent in Rift Killer. He's got, you know, extra accessories, extra heads. And we sort of did a cost analysis for, you know, which a cost analysis is basically how many units of this figure do I have to sell to break even? And if it's a couple hundred, you're okay. If it's, it's going to take you a thousand figures, you got to sell a thousand figures at full price to make back your investment. That's pretty tough. And that's when you sort of take out the red pen and you start chopping off features and accessories and things like that to get it down to a very limited figure. Now, Hyper Knight would be a good example of a figure with all its extra bonuses intact. You know, three extra heads, a gun, and the removable chest plate. That is a deluxe figure in uh, the same stage in which it was sort of quoted. So the goal we had for Action Figure Month 2020 was $20,000. And the rationale there is it's going to take $10,000 to order all the product for 12 months, let's say. I'm rounding off here, but I have a budget of $10,000 to put, you know, uh, all the to order all the figures we need for one month and fulfill those so that's put aside that doesn't in- incorporate packaging shipping labor all the other add-ons but that is our hard cost of product for one entire year of action figure of the month the other 10 grand is for the tooling for radic uh, which is about a medium-sized tool it includes a couple accessories um, but is not really considered a deluxe figure so that's how I came up with the goal of $20,000 for Action Figure of the Month Club. With my the understanding that I would fund myself all of the extra stuff that comes along with it, postage, and labor, and packaging, etc. You know, I'm just worried about the hard cost of the product and the figures itself. That's all I need covered. I'll take care of the rest. So then the the logic dictates that if it's 10 grand for Radix tooling. And he's a sort of medium deluxe figure. Hackerman is going to be a medium deluxe figure. So we'll ask for another 10 grand. So we'll get $30,000 as the next goal after Radic. Um, I, when I went over to China a few weeks ago, I was able to sit down with the factory and show them all the parts I wanted to do for Radic and live in person get costing and quotes and get their input on how expensive things might be, what would really be a cost savings. You know, if I cut this piece, I can get this. And I was able to get a tooling cost that was very low in a great way. There's not a lot of lucky breaks for this enterprise, especially when it comes to costing in China. But for whatever reason, the planets aligned and I got a really great quote that came under what the target was. So I had a little bit to play with. And uh, I just got the sort of, you know, the kind of formal invoice that you get from a factory that lays out the total cost, because I'm not going to make a move until I see that, you know, we got to get it in writing. And it came in, and it's legit, and it's a cheap cost. It, I had to sacrifice a couple extra accessories for Radic that truthfully would have been very complicated, very expensive. It would have moved him to a deluxe figure or beyond. And it would have drove up his unit cost really high. He probably would have been the most expensive figure we've done so far. Um, so, 
what I did was, with that surplus, I took Hackerman, who was a, again, a deluxe or mega deluxe figure. I did some editing. I took out a bunch of stuff, and I instead moved the Slasherman head over to his main cavity. And the feeling is that we can hit the target. We can hit a very conservative target for Hackerman as well that's going to match Radic. So that little bit of wiggle room really allowed me to drop the goal down to the exact dollar and cents that I would need to make Hackerman happen. Basically, I got some savings, so I passed that on to the end customer and made our goal much lower, which I think is a lot more compelling. You know, getting one new figure is great. That gives us an even 12, and we can have different characters in different months. But I think if we can do two new figures, that's pretty remarkable and monumental. And I think that's the right move. So that's sort of where we stand today. It's very fortuitous that Braddock came in so low, and we got to kind of rejigger all of the uh, the amounts and the dollars. And, you know, what, what I think people don't see, and this particularly happened every single day on last year's campaign, these stretch goals get changed all the time. They have to. You have to sort of have something pliable that you can, you know, you can change direction on very quickly in response to how campaigns are doing. I, I've always had, in all of the campaigns we've done, I've had, I start off with a very solid plan of where I think dollar amounts are going to go and what the unlocks are going to be. And inevitably, I always throw them out the window because that's just not what happens when you're in the meat of a campaign. It is really like you're in survival mode in a lot of respects. So I'm very happy with these decisions. I am super happy about Head of Tank. I think it's long overdue for him to make an appearance. And uh, frankly, I think uh, he is worth the small accessories that we sort of X'd out of the plan, 100%. Now, very astute readers may be able to ascertain what those extra accessories might have been. And they, stay, they still may yet exist as resin-printed items later on. I'm not, you know, scratching that. And also, we have a really good history of reusing parts that get scrapped for later releases. You know, the Rift Killer is a great example of being a Frankenstein, an amalgamation of tons of different parts we had laying around. It was truly, you know, the, in some respects, the first Frankenslice. It, it was built from so many different sculpts and tools and things like that so um i'm pretty confident there's a life out there yet for all these little orphan projects but that's the rub uh i would love to get to radic as soon as we can and i thank you for your help in doing that at 83 percent he's definitely going to happen let's see how quickly we can make him happen uh i got some new reveals coming up for Hackerman. i got some new reveals coming to the subsidy supply drop it's all in all a very exciting time to be alive, and I love that I've woken up every morning and the campaign's inched up. That really makes my morning, and I thank you guys very much for it. Um, I'm not sure there's that much else to say other than I appreciate your support, and we're going to talk soon. So the only thing left to say is pizza out.